0: Of foot there.
1: It is Madison!
0: It's Friday or Saturday. And you maybe don't know what that means, but welcome to episode 40.5? Gav? That is correct, yes. 40.5 of the ABZ
1: Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me as always, Gavin J. Baxter. Gav, how's it going? Just when 40 wasn't enough. Yeah, you might not know what it means, but I know. It means that something's happened and it necessitates the reason for me. To be here Friday night And where else would I rather be Where else would we rather be We were going to do this last night
0: But um, my childcare duties Meant that that wasn't going to happen And then you and I had to go out And hammer some people at Five Asides In preparation for our grudge match With the red glasses boys uh, In the summer and, and hammer we did Hammer we did, absolutely It was it was some glorious stuff It was Sigma Olmich-esque It's fair to say That's...
1: Uh, it wasn't that comprehensive <laughs>
0: <laughs> felt comprehensive to me Anyway, Gav, we're here to have a quick chat about We predicted it, didn't we? Wednesday's drop of the Dave Cormack-Graham Hunter interview A little bit later than we'd maybe predicted I think you'd predicted it to come around 10 o'clock in the morning A few hours later than that, but our, our spies were correct It was out on Wednesday um, And it's already sparked, it's fair to say, uh, uh, a level of debate Will we say, on 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 social media involving Aberdeen? And we thought it was time to just have a little bit of a dissection of the hour and eleven minutes that uh, Graham Hunter spent with Dave Cormack, and just to try and pick out what I think we see some of the key aspects of that interview. Just, I guess, first up, Gav, just your thoughts generally on the overall presentation and and so on and so forth of the actual interview itself.
1: I think um, I think Graham did a did a very good job in in keeping the interview flowing and keeping Dave Cormack i guess at ease in a way which he would give answers to the to the questions um i've seen some some criticism some some accusations of softball questioning this part which i don't buy into at all i think um would you have, i mean it's one of those you could have sit and watch that for hours given the number of questions we have um for Dave Cormack and the overall leadership, but on the whole, yep, yeah, I was quite quite happy with what what they put out there.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a difficult one for for Graham from an extent, and I guess you know, in the interest of disclosure and in the interest of fairness, Graham's a guy who's been a guest on the show. The three of us on the pod usually we've got a lot of time for Graham. I think we like his um, <clears throat> style of interviewing. Big fans of his podcast, uh, the big interview. I know that his style is not necessarily for everyone and that's fair enough, you know, it takes you know, all sorts for all all folks and all that kind of good stuff I thought, yeah, there were some unfair accusations out there about softball questions, I think Graham would admit maybe question one and the final questions the final set of questions are perhaps a bit softball-y but they're there as well as as you kind of described to try and put the person who's in the hot seat at ease a little bit, try and ease them into the conversation and get them going. And if you're familiar with Graham's style of his interviews, that's that's what he does and it works effectively. And listen, it's not an easy shift, that one, um, in a situation where are interviewing a guy like Dave Cormack, which is going to go out in official club media as well. That's the other thing people need to bear in mind. I know that some people perhaps were hoping for, you know, Graham to go all guns blazing and go in two-footed on stuff, but realistically that was never going to happen
1: no not at all and probably for the best because that happens and you know he makes Dave Cormack look foolish then all it's gonna result in is the club becoming more and more closed off and that's not what anyone wants even if that happened
0: a the club would end up editing it to an extent that it wouldn't represent the way the conversation went or it would be edited in such detail that you would get nothing usable out of it And at the same time, if you end up getting into a kind of rant or a kind of, like, argument, it's going to end up looking like what that BBC Sports Sound interview looked like, which is just car crash stuff. And you're just watching it for the sake of, you know, the humour out of it rather
1: than actually getting
0: anything tangible out of the conversation. Yeah, or Um,
1: you're going to end up with a talk sport segment, which no human being wants to listen to. Exactly. On the whole, I th- I, th- I kind of tend to agree with. I think Graham did a pretty
0: good job on the whole of, of trying to keep the conversation flowing and also try to keep Dave Cormack on track with answers. Because if there's one thing that I did take away from the 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 conversation, and it's something we've seen before, Dave likes to waffle a wee bit, and um, he does like to try and divert your attention into s- different railroad tracks than necessarily with the question. Uh, originally had intended to to be answered. And there's a few times that happened, and Graham did try and pull him back a few times towards the actual subject matter. And a couple of times it didn't work. Um, and I think you could actually see Graham getting a wee bit exasperated with that to an extent as well. But on the whole, I think as far as Graham did, I think he did a decent job
1: with it. Um, I'm not saying this is praise or a criticism, but yes, Cormac, he has a, a politician's vernacular at times. Yes. I think that's not unfair to say. So, yeah. He, uh, there was one or two occasions where I noticed he wasn't really answering the question mm-hmm. that Graham Hunter would put to him. And yeah, that's obviously frustrating, but I guess there were maybe questions that were difficult or, yeah, didn't want to give the direct answers to, but that's gonna happen.
0: Exactly. And I think, in fairness to Graham as well, he did, he he put a tweet out in advance of the actual video coming out, you know, kind of saying that he asked the questions he thought what the, he wanted to ask that might not necessarily have been the questions that a number of supporters would have wanted to ask, and that's just kind of the way these things go, unfortunately. Um, and as you say, there's probably so many questions out there um that people would want to ask, not all of them were ever going to get covered. One thing I did think was a bit interesting, or I, I didn't really feel like anything new or anything really majorly new came out of the interview that we hadn't already heard even through the the, the, the Twitter thread that Tom Watt did after Tom had a off-the-record conversation with Dave Cormack recently. I felt that a lot of the stuff was kind of stuff that was already out there a little bit to an extent and so I, I guess if I was Graham I would maybe be a wee bit disappointed that some of that chat had already been kind of published so to speak ahead of the interview taking place But but that is what it is. If we just get into some of the nuts and bolts on it, I guess then, I mean, straight out the bat, one of the questions that Graham asked was around this kind of whole idea about if if Dave Cormack had a time machine and he could go back 12 months, effectively, would he have made the same decisions that he made at the time? And this was interesting because this was the first instance of exactly what you just said there, about the kind of politician vernacular appearing because Dave decided it was like, well, let let me do my train of thought and we'll come on to it. And he started kind of rabbiting on about you know, how much money had gone into the first team and the fact we'd delivered the training grounds um, and all this kind of stuff. And it kind of took Graham him back into the conversation a bit. <clears throat> and what I thought was interesting on this was he, Dave Corbett went quite heavy on this idea about, okay, so Stephen Glass didn't have a lot of experience in terms of managerial experience, certainly no real experience of managerial uh, stuff in Scotland, but kind of went heavy on this idea that, well, we, we brought in Alan Russell and he had loads of experience with England and Scott Brown had vast Scottish experience Didn't talk about Henry apple in that conversation Which nope. was convenient, I think it's fair to say um, And it's that thing we've spoken about before It's like, okay, yeah, on all, all right. the face of it Alan Russell, yes, has experience at a high level with England In uh what would you describe, a niche
1: role? A specialist role? Yeah,
0: cool. I think it's, it's fair to say That's a fair comment, I don't think anyone would argue with that He's never been, as far as I'm aware, an assistant manager anywhere before. Um, has no experience of, of, of managing or of being an assistant manager within the Scottish game. Okay, he played in the Scottish game for, for a period of time. We've seen with Sean Maloney, just because you work high up within a setup with a, a top national team doesn't necessarily mean that that can translate to being an effective manager or an effective coach at the level we're at here notwithstanding that, I think we did see some good stuff from the Alan Russell set piece school over the course of the season. I, I think it would be churlish to say we didn't.
1: No, there was, there was certainly, I mean, hey, I, I voted for Lewis Ferguson's header against Hearts as the goal of the season. So there definitely was, but I think it was also plenty of games where our set pieces were dire. Yeah. that's Now you could level that yeah. as just being accusation, uh, sorry, you could level that as just being poor execution on the pitch, but you Know how many games did we watch Calvin Ramsey just float a ball on top of the goalkeeper? So, yeah, exactly. Um, I've made my things about Russell perfectly clear. I don't think that, um, Harry Kane scoring a couple of free kicks, a couple of headers against Panama makes anyone a specialist <laughs> in, their, in their field. And uh, that seems to be the whole thing about him was that he made Harry Kane, which I don't think he did. Um, and yeah, his he was a he was certainly a part, maybe even a big part Of a ultimately failed strategy So they can Bang that drum all they want, but yet The result is, we know what the result is Well exactly, Scott Brown Yeah, vast experience in the Scottish game Of course he does, no one's going to doubt that But
0: no experience whatsoever of being a manager Or a coach at this level He was here to learn And that was made apparent when he signed He wasn't coming in as the finished article on this He was here to learn So that's Stephen Glass, that's Alan Russell, that's Scott Brown who have a lack of experience if nothing else as, as being coaches or assistant coaches at this level. Henry Appaloo he didn't touch on conveniently I think it's fair to say because he, he falls in that category as well. What I thought was interesting with this was that <clears throat> and, and and I felt that Cormac never really answered the question about the lack of experience thing about Stephen Glass until Graham Hunter brought him back to it again and he said something funny about the fact that when I spoke to Dave, when I spoke to Scott Brown when he left, I told him it's good to get uh, make sure you've got an experienced coach alongside you at your first job. And you kind of sit there and you're like, why are you telling the guy who's away out the door this? And we've not done the same. And he even admitted at one point we could have. I think the direct quote was we could have supported Stephen Glass by getting more experience.
1: Which then begs me the question of, well, why didn't we? That um, felt to me like it was the brave new world and we were going to go out with the Scottish quote unquote bubble. And I guess this is maybe one of these things where, you know, talk is cheap and we'll we'll learn how they feel about things going forward. But it felt to me like that was a reflection of a lesson learned Mm. that they didn't put that in place i mean he made mention of neil simpson yeah but which again, i didn't like... which yeah i don't really uh, is neil simpson really part of the first team is he It's. and even then he's not had even then, he's not had first team coaching experience out with you know a couple of stints as caretaker so it's an, exactly it's it... a null and void point there it felt to me like he brought neil simpson
0: into the argument to try and satisfy this idea about it's a guy with experience and neil was part of the first team setup absolutely he was absolutely in terms of the coaching setup but the same argument applies here neil simpson has done a lot of things you know great player has been with the youth academy for for a long long time now what experience does neil simpson actually have as being a first team coach a first team manager he, none i think from recollection his only experience was as a caretaker for one game between mark mcgee and craig Brown. we got hammered 5-0 at timecast i'm not saying that was neil simpson's fault no it's just the fact so i think it was a bit churlish to try and suggest that neil simpson was in there as the kind of experienced head as well we had a vastly under experienced coaching setup going in and i think it's fair to say that We've really, really suffered for that. I just thought it was really telling that Cormac even said we could have supported Stephen by getting him some more experience. And it's that question about well, why not do that? Why not in October last year when the shit hit the fan and we decided we were not going to hit the button on 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 dismissing him at that point? Why not at that point maybe looking and bring in some experience to help support him? I, I don't understand this. Uh, but, but there we go And unfortunately it felt to me then The conversation got sidetracked down To talk about refereeing calls at Ibrox In the 2-2 game
1: yeah, Rather than yeah.
0: Focusing on that point Which is, well, Why did we not bring him in some experience If, if we recognised that was an issue Like you say, maybe this was a retrospective Hindsight's 2020 and all that kind of stuff But I don't know It just felt to me that there was an opportunity Maybe to ask that question That didn't quite land But there we are there some other interesting parts that came out of that conversation was about the fact that during the, the process for um, Stephen Glass being appointed, there was this chat that <laughs> d- during a final interview with one of the top candidates halfway through the Zoom call, he just told them, actually, I've just accepted a job in England. Uh, I, th- I suspect that was Danny Cowley.
1: It's the kind of thing that I did when I got bored with pub quizzes, just said, yeah, listen, so I've got work to do. <laughs>
0: The timelines would line up for this I think it was well trailed that Cowley had been interviewed Um, Whether the whole whole process was still Really A a true process is still up in the air For a lot of people I I don't think it's ever going to go away I think the timelines line up Danny Cowley did take the Portsmouth job Pretty much at the same time that we were in the process of appointing Stephen Glass So the timelines would line up there And Cowley was well trailed as being interviewed for the job so i suspect that's where they were trying to go with that one i saw some people online try to claim that this meant that stephen glass was like the third
1: choice candidate yeah i mean i think one of the um what do you call them one of the scottish rags i think ran the headline that the first choice was missed out and at no point was that said. It was just simply that a candidate was being interviewed. Yeah, yeah. They said so, top, a top candidate in a final interview.
0: So there could have been yeah. three or four people if they got the Three four or sort five. Of
1: um, yeah, I mean, for my money, from almost the minute Derek McInnes was sacked, Stephen Glass was the overwhelming favourite, and he remained the overwhelming favourite. And bookies do that for a reason. We might have interviewed Daddy Cowley or whoever this individual was, if it wasn't him. But yeah, for me, I think it was always a... A closed shop like Stephen Glass was always Going to be the manager of Aberdeen regardless of anything I think listen like no matter what People want to say about it in
0: terms of Yeah I I, I suspect they probably Went through a process to make it Look legit If I'm honest I mean look all the rumours Were all out there about it was Stephen Glass With Scott Brown with Alan Russell the three names were All in the hat Widely talked about within days of Ben McInnes being sacked You're telling me that that just happens to be coincidence that that then happens to be the three that come together because on the face of it, you wouldn't have put those three together. You know, it, it was all too convenient that that was the case. Anyway, that's where we got to on the Stephen Glass thing. What I think was interesting, Graeme um, made the point about the fact that, <clears throat> and this this ties up, this tallies up with, with some of the accounts that we've heard, that the players themselves really liked working with Stephen Glass as a coach. Um everyone we've spoken to um, who is in or around the first team squad about this have all said very, very similar things to this, that they really, really rated Glass as a coach. There were question marks potentially about his ability to be a manager, but they all really rated him as a coach. And yeah, in a way it's kind of almost disappointing that maybe somebody who does have a real level of acumen and expertise as a coach, we've maybe found the wrong job for them in a, in a way and, things have ended the way they ended but hey that's that's where we are
1: yeah it feels like we could have easily had a situation where he was he could have been maybe the assistant coach to yeah (laughs) to somebody someone with the the managerial qualities that it would definitely appear from the outside looking in that he was lacking in Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and maybe then with an opportunity to then step up who knows later on perhaps
0: who knows? Um, also,
1: some people are just naturally they're coaches and they're not managers. So, yeah, absolutely,
0: yeah. and that's not a bad thing. That's that's not a bad thing. Um, it's just unfortunately things work out. It, it then kind of the conversation switched quite quickly then to talk about recruitment, and this for me was probably the most interesting part of the whole conversation. I think, I, I think people who were looking for a kind of big time mea culpa about the Stephen Glass experiment. From Dave Cormack were probably expecting too much I, I don't think that was ever going to happen There's a lot of talk about hindsight's a good thing and Yeah I just don't think that was ever going to happen But what was interesting was I think the, the bit for me that came out That was the most interesting And it was interesting in two different elements And <clears throat> people are always going to slate us And say we're being negative and all this kind of stuff On the recruitment front there were, there were two things on this One part I find to be Very positive f- For going forward I'm going to deal with the negative bit first, though. Unfortunately, because it was the admission there that Darren Mowbray didn't actually start his job until September. Yeah, which moved our timeline. We've all been working to around when he was appointed and when he maybe came in the door. Shifts it by about four months, four weeks to the right. I think we kind of all expected he maybe was in the door start of August. Maybe had some fingerprints over some of the late transfer activity in the summer window. As it turns out, he didn't start until September. Which and 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 Dave Cormack made a very very overt point about saying that all of last season's summer recruitment was done by Stephen Glass and his coaching staff. Yes. Now I don't know if some of that was kind of aimed at throwing Stephen Glass under the bus a wee bit here. I'm just saying I don't know that bit for me. <clears throat> still, really damning, and and if that makes it look even worse now about the fact that. We embarked on our brave new dawn in terms of structure with director of football, head of recruitment, manager, head coach, whatever you want to call him. Just, um, and-
1: just omitted to appoint the head of recruitment.
0: Yeah, so we so our entire <laughs> summer window is dealt with by people who 1-0 Arbroath, by the way.
1: 1-0 Arbroath!
0: Yes! Fucking get in there. Yes,
1: yeah, so that's, the, like, that's the subplot to this whole uh, mini-pod, the Kilmarnock Arbroath game. 1-0 yeah, 10 minutes gone James Cragen oh where were we Mon the, um, the Smokies sorry we were talking about um, a team that are not as good as our both, um, Aberdeen and <laughs> Mowbray coming in in September and the whole structure being well yeah. it's effectively the structure not being in place until after such a significant summer transfer window which even which makes it even funnier the fact that at the time
0: when Dave Cormack talked about why Stephen Glass was appointed there was this whole piece about we wanted
1: guys who were not gonna be in charge of recruitment. Yeah, there was um certainly some contradictory statements in the interview with Graham Hunter in comparison to previous appearances on Sports Sound or other previous forms of communication that we've heard regarding why Stephen Glass was here and why other candidates were not. So yeah, it's, it sounds like yeah, it sounds like Stephen Glass was appointed for a reason or one of the big reasons being that he was on board with working under this um new structure of not being in charge of transfers and then we said by the way yeah he did go get some players so uh have at it what's that jackger yeah fine fuck we'll I will take him yeah. yeah
0: go and work with gunner and we'll start of some transfers for the close season when we had a, a squad which was not in- not great Nick after the season before. you know, We had no first-team strikers on the books. We had a horrendous number of sentiment fields in the books, all that. We've been through this to death, I guess, on a number of times on the pod. But hearing that admission, that actually was September before Darren Movery came in, just made me just... Uh, if you could have been a fly on the wall of uh, my office in the house there when that happened to watch me just screaming at the monitor, it would have been well worth the price of admission alone. Just, just I, I still can't wrap my head around the fact that we've we got ourselves in this position, but, but there we go. On the positive side, <clears throat> it certainly appears as though we are absolutely, most definitely casting our net wider in terms of potential player acquisitions than we've done for a very, very, very long time. Chat about the fact that Darren Mowbray's been in Slovakia, the Czech Republic, Holland six times. Not going to say anything about that. Germany... Poland, clearly looking at different markets, which is good. I've got no issues around that. Although I I still think this needs to form part of a balanced recruitment policy. We've seen what happens when teams decide they're just going to go mad for European players. Christ, Aberdeen have done it ourselves in the late 90s when you bring in a bunch of guys from various different countries and they never gel together properly and it costs a fucking shitload. And it's a nightmare. Look at Hearts. Over the last few seasons as well there's no there's the there's no coincidence with the fact that hearts have become a much better side this season last season when they've had probably a bit more of a a core of players who are used to playing either in the scottish game or in the in the uk game supplemented with some very some good players from from elsewhere
1: yeah i mean if you even just look at the hearts example you know the the good team they had under Romanov, it obviously had the likes of Scatchel and Rellier and Thesis and whatnot. But the core was Presley, Hartley, Gordon, Gordon uh, Nielsen. One or two others, I'm probably not remembering. But yeah, like I say, it's it's clearly important to have that level. It's the word again, experience yeah. of the league and what is required to be successful in it
0: lot of interesting chat as well about the fact that, you know, obviously Bajauan apparently is a Darren Mowbray. He was a Darren Mowbray project that's called project for the sake of it. Um, we beat Hibs to Bajauan according to Cormac. There's a surprise. We always beat players to Hibs, don't we? Really clear as well. There was a, there was an interesting piece where they started talking about the, the model that Sevilla used with Moshni and Moshni has been able to identify targets, brought them in, which then Sevilla turned over sell them and i think he's made like 600 million or something for Sevilla over the years in terms of player recruitment having them for three four years and then spit them out for profit yeah which is in theory great and i i this was one of the things that i'm glad that they they spoke about because it's something i've been pushing for a little bit which is around what clubs are we looking at in europe to understand how they maximize their resources how they're
1: punching above their weights um via real I was watching I watched it on Natural the, the Club YouTube channel mm-hmm. and it was like live so there was comments on the right side yeah and when he started talking about Sevilla and I think he may have mentioned Villarreal he as well he did say Villarreal as well yeah. I was expecting in the comments to appear all the same quotes and yeah. comments that were made when you uh when you made comparisons uh with Villarreal <laughs> and Sevilla and ourselves and as far as what we could achieve based on taking the elements of their model and see what we could replicate not when you said not when you said we could win the Europa League next season I I never said we could win the Europa League next season (laughs) (laughs) my point was there are clubs out there in Europe
0: who punch way above their weight in comparison to the resources they have available to them I'd like to understand if we're out there looking at these clubs to understand what it is they do you know Bodo Glimp are a great example of this
1: Um, well I, I think Cormac did mention that he had had a conversation with the individual um at Sevilla. So. Yeah, which is which is again positive.
0: I'm pleased to hear stuff like this. Um there's loads of examples of it out there. What, what was interesting, and this is the one thing again, I was this is probably getting to the minutiae of the detail. And again, this is one of these things that maybe only appeals to like proper football dorks to an extent, <clears throat> and maybe isn't really suitable for like, a kind of red TV outro. But one of the clubs that Dave Commerce talked about previously. About us having looked at about how they do things is Northland, and Northland do have a really really good track record of bringing in this is this this is this ties into the youth academy setup discussion as well about bringing in youth players or bringing in uh, players from I think they've got a link up with a club in Ghana, I think
1: it is I think we've talked about this before yeah
0: yeah, they' bring in players from 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 Ghana, they'll bring in players from their youth setup they'll, they'll attract players locally, they bring them in they play them for a couple of seasons, they sell them on for big money and it works from a revenue perspective and they get good money in the door. The issue with this, though, is that as soon as nordland suddenly realised this is what they could do, their actual performances on the pitch have come off a cliff. Like, they are fucking terrible at the moment in the, um, in the Danish league and their progress in the Cups has been poor and it's almost like they've sacrificed success performances on the football pitch for just being a... I don't want to say a money-making outfit, but... To an extent, that's what they're kind of doing. They're taking in players, they're selling them on, but it doesn't seem to be replicated. They're not getting any sort of like real tangible success
1: on the football pitch as a result. And that's the one thing I want to make sure that we are not going to fall into that same sort of trap. Yeah, no one wants to see that at all. We want um, players that are going to come in here, make a very positive impact for the club, contribute to our success. And then, yes, and when the time comes, we can then look at moving them on. But, that you know, this is all... Again, it's all it's all theory. It's all it's all talk at the moment. I'm more encouraged by Vicente Bjawin mm-hmm. in this sense of the business model. But yeah, we need to we need to make it happen. It's it's all well and good talking about it. We need to make we need to make it happen. Talked about this idea about we're in discussions with a quote mark
0: top Serie A team. Um they didn't say it talks about what. There was an allusion to the fact that this is a team we've got forty plus players out on loan. Um, I think there was a inference coming that we were maybe talking to them about maybe being some sort of, I don't know, partner of choice about who they might punt loan players to because they've clearly got way too fucking many if they're loaning
1: 40 plus out in a season. <laughs> um, and, if, and if you're going to, if you want to learn how to play and you want to be, become adaptable for the Serie A, we're better than uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, All I can think about is our last Loney
0: from a Serie A club It was Vuya, wasn't it It has to be Vuya Dinovich. It? it's the only one I can think of um, Hopefully maybe a little Bit better than that <laughs> Poor guy Poor I guy. think as I, I as I was tweeting at the time If I was a betting man on that one I'd be looking at Atalanta Might be the club in question there Tick the boxes in terms of the number of players They've got alone. they've got like something 60 odd out loan at the moment which is just
1: nuts um, I mean that is like Chelsea levels of just stockpiling players. So Absolutely. That's, that's insane.
0: And it's a it's a it's a broad suite of players as well. They've got out a loan in terms of nationalities, um, in terms of like positions they play, ages, all that kind of good stuff. So who knows what that could end up looking like. There's always this issue with loan players, so isn't there, as well, about unless you're getting proper world beaters almost, and or or world beaters is maybe going a bit too far, but guys who can come in and really, really influence what you can do as a club for a season or for two seasons if you don't have like an option to purchase them at the end of it, you kind of end up in a scenario about what was kind of the point of that, but one that needs to look at. The reason I th- also think it might be Atalanta is because Lee Congerton who used to be the Celtic head of recruitment, he was then sporting director I think at Leicester City moved to Atalanta in March time I think it was in a role which is class as head of international development of sports or something. So I presume he's the kind of guy who'll be out there looking for partner clubs, etc. He'll to have knowledge about Aberdeen from his time in the SPFL. It seems to me like that would be an obvious fit. And I presume that him and Stephen Gunn know each are known to each other. So putting two and two together, we've probably come up with 25, but who knows? The pieces
1: fit. And um, yeah, there's probably every chance that Jim Goodwin's met him at Celtic Park. <coughs> <laughs> Apropos of nothing. Not, not, um, that, not that I'm making mention of anything there. No. I'm genuinely not. I don't care if Jim Goodwin goes to sell the game for the record. That was a big thing about that. I don't care at all. I'm not going to get thrown into that conversation just now. I <laughs> just... <laughs> just saw an opportunity there. Um, But yeah, I think you're I think you're right as far as... And I think this goes back to the point that was raised when Stephen Glass and Stephen Gunn did that Q&A the beginning of the season yeah do we want lone players coming in from let's just say it's atlanta for at atlanta that's atlanta if it is is at atlanta that is going to get really confusing yeah um if it is atlanta atlanta fuck (laughs) if it's the italian atlanta do we want players coming from there for six months one year to block the progress of our own young players moan about how much of a farmer's league it is. Disappear home again Yeah
0: I know It's it's going to be that fine line Isn't it Yeah I think there's I don't think there's anything wrong In exploring these kind of conversations But it's all going to boil down To the type of players Who you actually are able to To bring in the door On the whole though On the recruitment front I feel I genuinely feel quite positive About what this is going to bring I feel that It's a marked difference From the way we spoke Or the way we recruited Under Russ Richardson um, And the latter years Of the Derek McInnes Era I'm kind of, I'm genuinely excited about the prospect of us actually f- trying to find unearthed gems in far flung leagues who are going to come in and tear it up, and then we can sell for like twenty million
1: quid. One point that I thought was interesting about it was there was a conversation regarding the recruitment in January, or shall we say, <laughs> lack thereof. I was just about to come on to this. I'm glad you did it. Go. Where the the mention of quality over quantity was made? Yes. And I have it written down in front of me. Quality over quantity, Adam Montgomery question mark. (laughs) Yeah, right. So
0: this is this this thing, right? I completely agree with the premise that we shouldn't just sign players for the sake of signing them. And we shouldn't spend money on people just so we bring people in the door. If they're not the right targets, if they're not the right fit, 100 percent, completely on board with that but and there was always a but coming here with this <clears throat> it brings me the question about how badly prepared were we going into the january window that like by all accounts and we spoke we spoke about this before we were still on the final day of the transfer window scrambling around trying to get players we were still trying to and and that's well documented if our whole thing was we want quality over quantity we're not going to buy players just for the sake of buying players how did we get to the final day of the transfer window in that situation i would have imagined we had a list of targets who we were going to go for and if we didn't get any of them that was us we were done now it could be a guess devil's advocate maybe we were down to target four on the striker front and there was then a decision made of actually do we really want this guy Lastminute.com for this sort of price and they've decided to pull it maybe fine but in a way as well it's completely written our season back off in January we've effectively for the second January in succession we've effectively written off the remainder of our season yeah we've talked about this ad nauseum yeah I I, I, I do I, not disagree about I, not paying not buying players for the sake of buying players I agree completely agree with that idea I'm just I'd like to understand how we got to the position where we got to in January, where we brought, as you say, Adam Montgomery, in the door on the last day of the transfer went What the fuck was the point of that? I mean, he's been a squad filler, quite simply. So I know, we, I, I and know think. he's injured, but was he really coming in to do a better job than anyone else? No, no. We might as well have we might as well have taken Kieran and back from Kelly Hearts. That's what I've said this whole time. You know, uh, if that's what we wanted to do, we've seen the benefit with Conor Barron.
1: Hey, I don't know. Um, I think another thing that I mentioned got written down here is that Jim Goodwin appears to have come in with the intention of bringing down the average age of the squad which Mm -hmm. absolutely no problem with that at all I do think it is a pretty there's a number of players who are the wrong side of 30 for a football team let's just let's just say that Dave Cormack made a big thing about the uh, the impact of the youth yes in our squad and now that those two things seem to contradict one another <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also, uh, he made mention that ultimately it will be whether it's Stephen Glass or Jim Goodwin or whoever else uh, walks in the door. The manager will dictate the playing strategy of the first team. So it doesn't feel like we really have embraced mm-hmm. the full-blown continental structure, which is probably a reflection of the fact that. And yeah, put this out there again, and I'll put it with this clarification that this is not a pop at Stephen gunn it's simply a pop at the decision to put Stephen gunn in a position that i don't think he's suited for mm-hmm. it feels like it's a reflection of Stephen gunn simply not being of the relevant experience or knowledge to be a director of football to implement that overall playing strategy so yeah it's um a lot like i say a lot of contradictions going on that were um remain puzzling
0: yeah it, but it's, it's interesting you picked up it's exactly the thing i picked up on as well which is this is exactly the, the pitfall we should be trying to avoid with this model we're trying to adopt that it's not really the first team manager's decision about how we play it's a it's a it's a style that comes from the top and everyone buys into that because that that begs the question there about how much work has Dan and done since september on identifying potential players targets etc for this summer transfer window with the view of playing in a particular style that Stephen Glass was looking at how much of that has had to be ripped up and put in the bin when Jim Goodwin comes in the door and Jim Goodwin says actually I want to play like this this is what I'm looking for you know we've potentially wasted what's that September through to February in terms of analysis player identification watching players going and actually physically seeing there was was a big deal made the fact that Dan Mulberry's been away to a number of these countries and you know has been physically watching players because we want to be able to say to potential targets we've watched you six times in the flesh and the good the managers watched you on tape god knows how many times and all that kind of stuff uh, which makes perfect sense it's like and this is exactly the thing that Theo Tinkat spoke about to us all the way back in episode four which is if you're going to adopt this model you have to adopt this model and you have to see it through you can't just keep on chopping and changing because all you do is end up putting all the work you've done for the last 12 months or under the previous matter just goes all straight into the bin and it's been a waste of fucking time.
1: Yeah. And it's exactly what Tom Watt has made mention of. We've yeah. come out with all these promises and philosophies and as you said, it's something that a small handful of football clubs have achieved in the history of the game. Yeah. And the reason for that is because people panic when it doesn't go right immediately. And that feels like what we is what we have done, combined with, as I say, not having the right people in place for it to ever work. Yeah. Even if we had the right manager, the right players, the right coaching, it's yeah, it's it's been a mess, and we can't we can't lose sight of that. It's just been an absolute catastrophe, and hopefully, from what he was from what Carmack was saying, the lessons have been learned. It sounded like that was the case, but like I've said before, you know, it's easy to say the right things. It's a lot harder to, you know, yeah. correct those mistakes. Just before we round off, then, there
0: was a you're right, you talked about the youth. I thought it was quite interesting. He spoke glowingly about Conor Barron. Um, fine. Kane Nguyenya talked about the fact that um, Ryan Duncan will be part of the first team squad next season. He's done well out of Peter Head. Completely dodged the question about Dean Campbell that Graham Hunter asked him. Which would make me suspect that Dean Campbell is not long for Aberdeen Football Club under Jim Goodwin.
1: Hang on, hang on, let me just check something. I don't think he's playing tonight. For Dean, Dean Campbell is not playing. No. In the Dean mm-hmm. Campbell is currently uh, warming the bench. So, yeah, he's I not. Thought... He's not made an impact at Kilmarnock. So, I
0: I read something interesting today. I think a, a Kilmarnock fan actually said that he has looked best there at left wing back. Yeah. Which is interesting because I think that's actually looked best when he's played for Aberdeen as well is at left back and left wing back despite the fact that's not meant to be his position but there we go I digress I just thought it was very interesting that there was a very direct conversation or, or talk about certain players and then when it came to one it was like uh, he's alone at Kamarnik it'll be up to Jim and made me just think mm, not sure if that means that Dean's going to be long for this one you touched on it Jim Goodwin's wanting to bring the average the squad down I think that's good no issues with that Um. And then it kind of got to, this would be the final bit. And I was, I kind of I still can't make my mind up about this a little bit. There was this, the chat towards the end of the conversation about the fact that people are not willing to put money in Aberdeen Football Club for fear of, I think the word was retribution, I think was used. And, you know, for the stick that people's families and all this kind of stuff and abuse that people might get. And I was a little bit struck by that. Um, on a couple of different levels. One I think is that, and I spoke about this yesterday, where there's absolute outright abuse, right? That's not that's not on, and, and and that does need to kind of be toned down a wee bit. Um that's that's not really on. At the same time, though, people are allowed to voice valid criticisms about yeah. Yeah. the state of play when things have not gone right. And I'm sorry, and I know there's a lot of people out there who'll disagree with me about this. Just because you were a beach end boy once doesn't make you exempt from criticism when things go to hell in a hand car. It's as simple as that. Like I, I don't think I can say that stronger. Now there is definitely a fine line between criticism and abuse. Don't get me
1: wrong. Oh yeah. On that front, we've talked about that again, a number of occasions on the season actually. Yeah. Abuse directed at our own players. Yeah, which has gone overboard and is maintained online, usually by people who have got. Hashtag be kind in their Twitter profile. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, It almost felt to me a little bit, and
0: I don't think this, I'm I'm hoping this wasn't how it was intended to come across, but it came across to me a little bit as though, like, there was almost an element of, like, don't criticize. Like, this is not here for criticism. And there was also another bit about the fact that, you know, no one else will put in the money. No one else has got the wealth to put the money in. There was a line about that. And there was a little bit of me, was like, is that some sort of, like, little veiled, Threat around, don't run me out of town because I'm the only one that's got the pockets deep enough to deal with this. I don't know if that's how that was meant to come across. It 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 just it 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 triggered my ear in in a way that was just a bit like oh I don't know about that. And there are also other reasons why people in the town are not investing money in the football club at this moment in time. Um, it's no secret that Cove Rangers sold out their Player of the Year dinner. Pretty rapidly, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain As far as I'm aware, our Play of the Year dinner Has not been sold out yet There are reasons why Local businesses who've been supporters Of the club for many, many years In terms of attending Play of the Year functions or taking tables at corporate Or whatever it might be Maybe what some people might perceive to be Small beer compared to you know a shirt sponsorship Deal or whatever, but who've been loyal supporters Of the club from that perspective for a long time There's a There's a reason why some of these people are not putting in the same level Of money as they used to and I'd like to think that <clears throat> that's got nothing to do with a fear of, quote, retribution or any of this type of chat for being seen to be associated with the club.
1: There are other reasons for that. And I'd like to think that we're looking at why that's happening. I don't want to derail. Very important conversation, but John Beaton is the referee of tonight's game. And, but in saying that, a feisty challenge, a feisty but fair challenge by Nicky Lowe on Rory McKenzie has the Arbroath fans celebrating as if it's a goal. Love it. And all I can say there is, go on, Nikki Lowe. Absolutely. Um, friend of the show, Nikki Lowe. Rhymes as well. Brilliant. What a lad. What a lad. What a pleasure it'll be if he gets to the SPL again. Oh, Un- Unbelievable stuff. Um, going back to your point, though, regarding the investment and the businesses, yeah, yeah. It's, again, we've talked about it a couple of times, and it's no secret that like the club have lost faith in support and yeah, the local business community. So there's, um, yeah, Work there's, something. there's there's something to reflect on mm-hmm. things. It's, it's things that, you know, can be done simply, I think to regain that faith, but you've just got to put the building blocks in place. Absolutely. And that also goes
0: back to, I think my final point of this the, the biggest disappointment I think I had with the interview. And again, I think on the whole, it was, it was, a it was fine. It was, it was probably about as good as I would have expected it to be. Being honest, I, I went in with kind of relatively low expectations, despite the fact I think that Graham's a really good interviewer. I just think that with it being a club interview on Red TV, the way that Dave Cormack can be quite evasive in his answering questions. I just didn't think it was going to necessarily hit the the targets that a lot of people were maybe hoping for with it. The one thing I was hoping we would see maybe would be a bit of a recognition that <clears throat> from the club that there's maybe been an element of goodwill or trust been eroded in the last 18, 24 months between the support and and the club as a whole. And I, I think about things like the I think the, the two big ones are the Ronnie Hernandez situation and probably Stephen Glass appointment are probably the two big things. I think that the vast majority of level headed, reasonable supporters, not, you know, conspiracy theorists running around with tin hats, Crazies, not people like us, then, not people (laughs) (laughs) are entitled to question how those decisions have come about and are also entitled not to be treated like idiots when it comes to explaining what happened. Like, we're all grown ups, just be you know, for for us all want to be all transparent and stuff, just be transparent, don't try and dress things up to make them sound better than they actually are. And I, I do feel that those two issues, I think, in particular have really eroded that trust where it becomes very difficult sometimes I think to take what the clubs say at
1: face value yeah it's it's possible to do that without sounding really negative upon Mm -hmm. what has happened I mean we we all accept that mistakes are going to be made that's that's human nature and there are people running a football club who have in some places never run a football club before so Mm -hmm. everyone's learning if yeah if there was that um what's the term humility mm-hmm. over what's happened in the last 12, 18 months and a recognition of it and an indication of a desire to turn things around then. Yeah. I think people would be more accepting of it. People would be more, would look at that as being more honest. And if we even just said about Ronnie Hernandez, listen, I think everyone would probably accepts that um, Hernandez was signed ultimately to go to Atlanta. I don't think that's outlandish to say Based on the fact that he came here, did basically nothing, yeah, and then lo and behold, ended up signing for Atlanta. So, um, yeah, just honesty where it's appropriate. Honesty. That's that's really all anyone wants. Absolutely. And listen, I think I think
0: it's important as well to say that you know, from my perspective, I don't know about you, Gav. I'll, you can you can obviously talk for yourself. I do not doubt for one minute that Dave Cormack, one hundred percent, absolutely. Wants to see Aberdeen Football Club be
1: as successful as it possibly can be. I yeah, I'm very content in the idea that his heart is in the right place. Yes, I don't have any doubts about,
0: about that. I don't have any doubts about his sincerity around that. I have no doubts about. I think at heart he wants the best for the football club. Um, so this is not a slate on him. I just think that there's parts of the the character. <laughs> that's the best way I can probably use the the way I can describe it, maybe it needs to be kind of softened off a little bit or I don't know, dialed down or I don't know, like I'm all for having, Martin Stone made a good point of this, and I think I might get Martin on the pod in a couple weeks to talk about this a bit more, I'm all for having a chairman who's a bit more out there in terms of being visible and maybe bullish and not allow us to be bullied by the SFA or the SPFL or other football teams in the league and who is out there fighting our corner, I'm absolutely all for that definitely 100 but at the same time if you as a chairman decide to put yourself in that position that also comes with a, a level of territory that you have to accept as well which is as soon as you put your head above the parapet you're also there to be kind of like shot at from a perspective and you kind of can't have it both ways from that from that side of things um, you kind of have to go all in or all out one of the two on these types of things
1: that's what we've said. That's what Graham's made a big point of saying. Yeah, that yeah. It's we knew where we stood mm-hmm. with Stuart Millen for all his foibles and all his faults. Yeah, we knew where we stood, and yeah, I think just um, he made mention of that that you know when if he's if he's in the press or he's on social media, then he's suddenly a uh, attention seeking egotist, and if he's not, then he's suddenly hiding. it's not it's not that black and white. It's just yeah, we um. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. When he puts himself in that position, then he's there, where it's valid to be criticised. And you know, there's plenty of things that have gone wrong. Yeah. from Dave Cormack, Stephen Gunn, the whole club's perspective, and yeah, it goes back again to humility and recognition for me. And and don't get me wrong, there's been a lot of good things that they've done as well since Dave well, been in the door. My final point here that that I've got written down is to get a very positive point into this show. Because yeah, I had a feeling that we might. Merge more into the kind of twilight sad spectrum of emotion. Um, I think all the credit in the world has to go to the club and Dave Cormack, especially as the leader of the club. It was a big part of this for maintaining all of our staff through through COVID. That is an incredible effort, and the club deserves all the praise in the world.
0: Absolutely, hundred percent on that. On the COVID response that they did in the local community, um, the Red Shed. It can still be better. It can still be improved. The experience here can be improved. But at least it's a step in the right direction as far as that goes. Um, the Alex Burgers and Homecoming. Superb. Absolutely brilliant. You know, Executed to a T. AFC moment of the year in our end-of-season awards. Brilliantly done. Um, the, the training facility... It wasn't going to get built unless Dave Cormack was able to find the cash to 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 make it happen. I know there's an argument about has the training facility actually made us any better or not, but that's a different discussion. We've been crying out for I don't know how many years to have a proper training facility. If they could just get an indoor pitch as well, that'd be good. Just hashtag just saying. The the fact that we appear to be engaging more with the city council around the beach master plan and potentially keeping a stadium at Potodric now at, at, at the beach. Don't get me wrong, there are still potentially massive pitfalls in that arrangement that might come and we need to tread very, very, very carefully in that discussion. But that's a positive for me as well. I was deeply concerned about the Kingsford Stadium location. Um, I was going to go along with it because I didn't think there was any other viable alternative on on the on the horizon for us. The, the City Council didn't appear to be willing to play ball and everything else was going to be too expensive. So I could see why it happened. The drive now to keep it at the beach, excellent, good stuff. Just don't make it 16,000 seats because that's fucking tiny. And make sure there's no running track and steep stands. That's all we want. That's all we fucking want. If you can just
1: kind of put time castle. But better. But a less shit time castle. A tiny bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And with and with better hospitality. And with no loner seats. Oh yeah. The individual <laughs> uh, seats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that all about?
0: Um <laughs> So, so listen they've, they've done a lot of good stuff there's still things that can be improved but that's fine that's the nature of the beast that's that's football and you're right gab mistakes mistakes in life happen when uh, mistakes in football are magnified by about 100 times because you've got idiots like you and i sitting here on a friday night dissecting every single word that somebody says in an interview on wednesday when we could be watching the spookies Could Kilmarnock. We'll catch the second half. It's fine. (laughs) Um, You know, mistakes happen. Own them. Front up to them. Show some humility when the mistakes have been made, and fucking learn from them. And I think most people will get on board with that. That'll be fine. Anyway, last thoughts, Gav, just on Wednesday night's uh, Hunter versus Cormac. (laughs) Hunter
1: versus Cormac. (laughs) I've got a funny feeling. There's people that Graham Hunter has a. Bone to pick with more than Dave Carmel. <laughs> um, overall, I think I got the impression that, like I say, there were some contradictory statements and things that did not satisfy my curiosity, if we'll call it that. But I did get the impression that lessons have been learned. Um, I think if we go all the way back to this, the chat about Stephen Glass and bringing experience into help, I think that's probably as big a part of the reason that Jim Goodwin is our manager now. People would have called it maybe the safe option, but I think we recognize that experience in the league was critical and that's why Jim Goodwin is here. Uh, yeah, I hope the lessons have been learned and we can, starting tomorrow, today, depending on when this goes out, we guarantee our position in the SPL. Because, I did this again. You did it again. Gav. I hope you we just... guarantee our position in the SPFL. That's FL. And we can look forward to starting again, almost in our in our brave new world and be the club that Dave Hunter wants us to be, what we want us to be and what I truly do believe Dave Cormack wants us to be. Absolutely agree, 100%. Join us on
0: uh, Wednesday. It'll be Wednesday next week when we'll have episode 41 out
1: the gates in all your usual podcast haunts. Delighted to say that we'll be reviewing... Livingston, obviously, and I believe we'll have a guest appearance from Dundee. That's the plan. By the way, naked Mark McGee, he is having his best life, isn't he? Uh, I think he is fully embracing Mark McGee-isms. Pure cinch. And on that bombshell. Cheers, Gav. Great stuff. Halftime, Rugby Park, Arbroath, 1-0. Come on, the Smokies. It's on. It's on. Stanfree. Or whatever our bro's bottle is.